Section twenty three of the Common Reader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bruce Peary. The Common Reader by Virginia Woolf. Outlines four. Archbishop Thompson. The origin of Archbishop Thompson was obscure his great-uncle may reasonably be supposed to have been an ornament to the middle classes his aunt married a gentleman who was present at the murder of gustavus the third of sweden and his father met his death at the age of eighty-seven by treading on a cat in the early hours of the morning the physical vigour which this anecdote implies was combined in the archbishop with powers of intellect which promised success in whatever profession he adopted at oxford it seemed likely that he would devote himself to philosophy or science while reading for his degree he found time to write the outlines of the laws of thought which immediately became a recognized textbook for oxford classes but though poetry philosophy medicine and the law held out their temptations he put such thoughts aside or never entertained them having made up his mind from the first to dedicate himself to divine service the measure of his success in the more exalted sphere is attested by the following facts ordained deacon in eighteen forty two at the age of twenty-three he became dean and bursar of queen's college oxford in eighteen forty five provost in eighteen fifty five bishop of gloucester and bristol in eighteen sixty one and archbishop of york in eighteen sixty two thus at the early age of forty-three he stood next in rank to the archbishop of canterbury himself and it was commonly though erroneously expected that he would in the end attain to that dignity also it is a matter of temperament and belief whether you read this list with respect or with boredom whether you look upon an archbishop's hat as a crown or as an extinguisher if like the present reviewer you are ready to hold the simple faith that the outer order corresponds to the inner that a vicar is a good man a canon a better man and an archbishop the best man of all you will find the study of the archbishop's life one of extreme fascination he has turned aside from poetry and philosophy and law and specialized in virtue he has dedicated himself to the service of the divine his spiritual proficiency has been such that he has developed from deacon to dean from dean to bishop and from bishop to archbishop in the short space of twenty years as there are only two archbishops in the whole of england the inference seems to be that he is the second best man in england his hat is the proof of it even in a material sense his hat was one of the largest it was larger than mr gladstone's larger than thackeray's larger than dickens it was in fact so his hatter told him and we are inclined to agree an eight full yet he began much as other men begin he struck an undergraduate in a fit of temper and was rusticated 
he wrote a textbook of logic and rode a very good oar but after he was ordained his diary shows that the specializing process had begun he thought a great deal about the state of his soul about the monstrous tumour of simony about church reform and about the meaning of christianity self-renunciation he came to the conclusion is the foundation of christian religion and christian morals the highest wisdom is that which can enforce and cultivate this self-renunciation hence against cousin i hold that religion is higher far than philosophy there is one mention of chemists and capillarity but science and philosophy were even at this early stage in danger of being crowded out soon the diary takes a different tone he seems says his biographer to have had no time for committing his thoughts to paper he records his engagements only and he dines out almost every night sir henry taylor whom he met at one of these parties described him as simple solid good capable and pleasing perhaps it was his solidity combined with his eminently scientific turn of mind his blandness as well as his bulk that impressed some of these great people with the confidence that in him the church had found a very necessary champion his brawny logic and massive frame seemed to fit him to grapple with a task that taxed the strongest how that is to reconcile the scientific discoveries of the age with religion and even prove them some of its strongest witnesses for the truth if any one could do this thompson could his practical ability unhampered by any mystical or dreaming tendency had already proved itself in the conduct of the business affairs of his college from bishop he became almost instantly archbishop and in becoming archbishop he became primate of england governor of the charter house and king's college london patron of one hundred and twenty livings with the archdeaconries of york cleveland and the east riding in his gift and the canonries and prebends in york minster bishop thorpe itself was an enormous palace he was immediately faced by the knotty question of whether to buy all the furniture much of it only poor stuff or to furnish the house anew which would cost a fortune moreover there were seven cows in the park but these perhaps were counterbalanced by nine children in the nursery then the prince and princess of wales came to stay and the archbishop took upon himself the task of furnishing the princess's apartments he went up to london and bought eight moderator lamps two spanish figures holding candles and reminded himself of the necessity of buying soap for princess but meanwhile far more serious matters claimed every ounce of his strength already he had been exhorted to wield the sure lance of your brawny logic against the sophistries of the authors of essays and reviews and had responded in a work called aids to faith 
near at hand the town of sheffield with its large population of imperfectly educated working men was a breeding-ground of scepticism and discontent the archbishop made it his special charge he was fond of watching the rolling of armour-plate and constantly addressed meetings of working men now what are these nihilisms and socialisms and communisms and fenianisms and secret societies what do they all mean he asked selfishness he replied and assertion of one class against the rest is at the bottom of them all there was a law of nature he said by which wages went up and wages went down you must accept the declivity as well as the ascent if we could only get people to learn that then things would go on a great deal better and smoother and the working men of sheffield responded by giving him five hundred pieces of cutlery mounted in sterling silver but presumably there were a certain number of knives among the spoons and the forks bishop colenso however was far more troublesome than the working men of sheffield and the ritualists vexed him so persistently that even his vast strength felt the strain the questions which were referred to him for decision were peculiarly fitted to tease and annoy even a man of his bulk and his blandness shall a drunkard found dead in a ditch or a burglar who has fallen through a skylight be given the benefit of the burial service he was asked the question of lighted candles was most difficult the wearing of coloured stoles and the administration of the mixed chalice taxed him considerably and finally there was the reverend john purchase who dressed in cope alb beretta and stole crosswise lit candles and extinguished them for no special reason filled a vessel with black powder and rubbed it into the foreheads of his congregation and hung over the holy table a figure image or stuffed skin of a dove in a flying attitude the archbishop's temper usually so positive and imperturbable was gravely ruffled will there ever come a time when it will be thought a crime to have striven to keep the church of england as representing the common sense of the nation he asked i suppose it may but i shall not see it i have gone through a good deal but i do not repent of having done my best if for a moment the archbishop himself could ask such a question we must confess to a state of complete bewilderment what has become of our superlatively good man he is harassed and cumbered spends his time settling questions about stuffed pigeons and coloured petticoats writes over eighty letters before breakfast sometimes scarcely has time to run over to paris and buy his daughter a bonnet and in the end has to ask himself whether one of these days his conduct will not be considered a crime was it a crime and if so was it his fault did he not start out in the belief that christianity had something to do with renunciation 
and was not entirely a matter of common sense if honours and obligations pomps and possessions accumulated and encrusted him how being an archbishop could he refuse to accept them princesses must have their soap palaces must have their furniture children must have their cows and pathetic though it seems he never completely lost his interest in science he wore a pedometer he was one of the first to use a camera he believed in the future of the typewriter and in his last years he tried to mend a broken clock he was a delightful father too he wrote witty terse sensible letters his good stories were much to the point and he died in harness certainly he was a very able man but if we insist upon goodness is it easy is it possible for a good man to be an archbishop end of section twenty three